You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1210 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Sunday afternoon, and by the way, we are now a part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, a newly launched channel and group of network and shows in the Atlanta area. Check that all out as well on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bet Online, where you can find more odds, props, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts, and I say all of that before I bring in my co-host on this podcast, friend of the podcast, someone who keeps a close eye on the Hawks at all times. Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good, Brad. How are you doing today? I'm living the dream. If people are watching this on YouTube, you will see that I am in a uh, very anonymous hotel room here in New Orleans, <laughs> fresh back from the Caesar Superdome practices and press conferences and all of that fun stuff, uh, which is why the podcast is a little bit delayed and uh, Glenn is graciously helping me out to uh, bridge the gap between what was a pretty big win for the Hawks on Saturday evening, uh, sort of end, end of the weekend. And then, of course, uh, I had forgotten this actually until you pointed out to me offline that the entire NBA takes the day off on Monday. So kind of a reset because of the NCAA tournament uh, on Monday evening. So at least I won't have to watch two, two games at once on Monday, I suppose. And there are like a million games today to, yes. to work around the Monday date, I think. Yeah, of course there, of course there are. But uh, ironically, uh, you know, the Hawks, of course, don't play today. And neither do, neither do the Hornets or the Nets. So the three teams that are like closest do not play this evening. Uh, the Raptors do play. The Cavs uh, do play. So there are some there are some considerations for the Hawks. But the three teams that we've been following the closest recently, at least on this podcast, are not in action. So there's a little bit of a window here. And you know, we can get into a lot of different a lot of different stuff on this podcast, but I guess I'll just start here. What was your overarching thought about the game on Saturday? Because clearly that was arguably their best win of the season in terms of just overall impact. I'm not sure it was their best performance overall, but certainly a game that they needed to win in the standings for the chase and sort of a high profile one, especially when you factor in Kevin Durant going for like hundred points. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh an impressive win. And as I uh, have hopefully kind of learned to watch this team. Um, you know, I, I think uh, most of us have kind of given up on uh, the perimeter defense, the point of attack <laughs> defense kind of being what we all hope it would be. And I'm sure what they hope it would be too. And such. And so I think the key for this team really is to be resilient and to try to persevere through uh, portions of the game where things aren't going the way that they, they would like, where things aren't going to, kind of the blueprint maybe that a lot of us had in mind for this team at the beginning of the year where we might had hoped that they, they would find a way to take a step forward and that kind of point of attack defense. You know, so I think about, you know, when this team was younger, less experienced, and I even think about times when they were more, if I can use the word fragile earlier in this season than, than maybe they are right now, you know, seeing uh, a guy like Durant go for 55, um, you know, having a, a five minute, seven second stretch down the, uh, you know, in the middle of the fourth quarter and into the toward the final minutes where they don't score. Uh, but all of their effort, second efforts, third efforts on defense, their connectivity on defense, they just kind of stayed invested in those areas where you really do have full control uh, of how you show up in those areas. And that's really what kept them, um, you know, in uh, under control and in uh, shape to kind of be able to kind of put that game away at the end. 
that was to me what we didn't see consistently at all earlier in the season was kind of not losing your focus on those kind of fundamental areas of play. And you know, you know, that game outcome was kind of uh, you know almost manufactured for ESPN to cover. KD has 55. The Nets lose on and on and on. But really, what it came down to for me was the Hawks staying invested in the, those areas of fundamental play that that helped them kind of work through. Uh, KD just continuing to make shots, them having their own scoring um, drought there at, at kind of the worst time, uh, and then uh, keeping their footing and, and getting that win. So to me, when it comes to winning big games, winning games that uh, by earlier this year uh, have been harder to kind of get that win, that's what this team looks like when they're winning games like this to me. So I, I'm you know fairly encouraged by it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, there was a lot of let's just say weirdness in the game. Like there was some normal stuff as well. Like Trey closing it out is not a huge surprise. Trey having 36 and 10, like it's a pretty normal game for him, which is kind of crazy about how good he is, that he, that's a normal game for him to have 36 and 10 with some closeout moments. But, you know, the starters weren't particularly awesome. Like they were all in the negative plus minus. It was one of the bench that carried them at times. They had a huge bench advantage in this game, which of course has been a point of contention for a long time with this Hawks team. The bench has not always been fantastic. I think it was like 46 to 12 in bench points, something like that in this game. And I thought it was noteworthy that all 10 guys had at least five points for the Hawks. You know, Herter was their late, was their least scorer. He was two of 10 from the floor. I actually thought he played pretty well, just didn't shoot it very well in my mind. Um, but guys like Gallo, and then you get, you know, had the DeLon Renaissance for that, for that few minutes. And um, Bogey didn't have a great game either. Like to, for them to, for them to win with Herter and Bogey going, I think, I believe it was five of 19 from the floor. It's hard for the Hawks to win when those two guys do that combined sometimes. Uh, particularly when you know the offense just wasn't like perfect on this night, but uh, I guess I'll start here too because this, this became the national. Uh, aside from the Durant explosion, the national stuff I saw was about the free throw disparity. Um, the Hawks taking forty nine free throws, which was their season high by a lot. They took thirty free throws in the first half, which I believe was a season high as well uh, in any half. And uh, credit credit to Durant after the game, he acknowledged this. Like it wasn't like they were blaming the officiating. Even the Nets were not saying it was an officiating problem. It was because they, they actually were fouling. If you watched the game, I know you did. Um, if you didn't watch the game, you just see that like, whoa, 49 to 19 in free throws. Like what the heck happened here? Because the Hawks aren't a huge free throw team outside of Trey. But uh, that was noteworthy to me, like both for the Hawks being able to generate, take advantage of those. And also for the Nets, like they just couldn't stop fouling. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, and I, you know, I wrote the the follow for Peace Hoops last night, and when I went back and rewatched portions of the game, and one with one one of the goals being specifically kind of hone in on like how did all those free throws come to be, making sure that what I saw live, um, you know, was the kind of the correct takeaway, and it was like the Nets just could not keep all hands in front of them, I and mean, that was like I, to my mind like ninety eight percent of the issues with fouls is they couldn't contain the ball. It's kind of funny to to watch. Uh, that be such a bad area in a Hawks game and have that not be the Hawks. <laughs> but, right. you know, they, they just couldn't keep ball handlers in front and, and would have to foul to really prevent kind of free runs at the basket or, you know, short-range shots uh, and things like that. Or eventually to kind of try to keep a, a, a Hawks ball handler from turning the corner. And it's even, you know, kind of more humorous because the Hawks, you know, don't don't have a ton of guys that are kind of famous for – You'd be able to just kind of work past, you know, any defender that they might see. Um, but the in the first half, the Nets loaded up on Trey and showed a lot of bodies, trying to not show him any scenes. And the Hawks did a good job of, you know, in the first quarter, especially like Hunter was good at trying to kind of from the weak side get into the scene that was created by them overloading towards Trey. 
and then from there it just it just kind of got worse um you know i felt like they could have maybe got more free throws in the second half but if you put up 30 free throw attempts in the first half it's almost uh impossible for the officials to not kind of react and think okay maybe we yep. overdid that you know it's kind of it's a natural human kind of factor there um but yeah i mean i give credit to the nets too they didn't complain at all and i thought it was appropriate that they said this was on us this was you know poor defensive discipline and technique and um yeah and and, and i looked it up last night 49 is uh the most the team has taken this year there's one other game uh where a team took 49 uh free throw attempts and i think I, I looked at the Hawks, and went, I think all the way back to a like, 2002 game when they had more than 49. So, like, you know, 20 years since they've had this volume. If my query was uh, uh, put together correctly, there. So, I mean, it's pretty wild. But, and I think I think KD even said up to the game that the field goal percentages were, you know, reflective of good defense in terms of contesting field goal attempts. I, I, I always think field goal percentages skewed when a team gets a lot of free throws because it doesn't uh, kind of factor in what would have been potentially really high percentage shots where yeah. right at the rim. So it's a little bit misleading, but you know, it's, it, it, that was wild uh, in, in that area for sure. I, I even remember looking down at my phone and in the first half, it's like, it feels like they shot 16 or 18. And I'm like, Oh my God, they're already at 26, you know, uh, in the first half. And it, and it wasn't, I think in, when they had uh, 24, I think Trey only took like two of the first 24 or something like that. So it was truly uh, a problem with um, across the board. It wasn't just Trey kind of doing what he could do sometimes. Yeah, the first half box score was pretty insane because, you know, you cover up the free throw number, which you can't do, but taking 30 of those. And they also only had two turnovers in the first half. So you, you turn the ball over twice and have 30 free throw attempts and a half. Like there's only so there's only so much you can do to mess that up. Like they're up 15 points at the half. Like, those two factors alone, like you're just in the driver's seat the entire game. And it's pretty crazy because if I had told you that the Hawks were going to have only 18 assists and they were going to shoot 32% from three and the Nets were going to shoot 46% from three, like the Hawks don't win that game very often. If, no. if, that's all you, if that's all you know, the Hawks don't win very often. And they won this game, not, not super comfortably, but certainly like it wasn't like in doubt. Uh, in the final seconds. I mean, it got closer than it probably should have late in the game, but man, uh, just the, obviously the free throw attempts, but also this is the thing about the Hawks all season long, as you well know, ball security helps. Like if you, if you turn the ball over seven times a game, which they did last night and they're number one in the league still in turnovers, that's a huge thing. It covers up for a lot when you don't make it easy on the other team. And the Hawks had more steals last night than the uh, Nets had turnovers overall and uh, turnovers created overall. And like, that's the live ball stuff really helps you. And they just kind of won on the margins. Like, and that's, it's kind of crazy when you're playing the Nets and how, how high power they are. And I'm going to ask about the defense in a second as well, but like just um, sort of neutralizing that and just doing the little things as the Hawks are not always great at doing, but they did it last night for sure. Yeah, they did. And um, you know, it, it it's, Partly, um, I guess, satisfying to see uh, as a person watching the Hawks and frustrating because every time you see this, you're like, oh, why couldn't this have been uh, visible in January or December or whenever, whatever point you want to kind of go back to. Any any point of the season. Would have been <laughs> right. Good, yeah. right. Uh, because, you know, I've said multiple times on Twitter across the season that uh, they look like a team that tries to figure out in the first quarter, quarter and a half, exactly how much defense they have to play to win the game and they play not an ounce more than that and i think that's a fair kind of characteristic yeah. of the way most of the season has gone um they started to you know, break away from that i think uh some and maybe now to a, a decent amount because they, they showed a lot of effort the whole game last night 
Um, and, you know, and hopefully that's something, you know, for their sake that they're kind of figuring out how to, you know, play with that intensity. Gallo mentioned after the game that, hey, we're playing well. They've won 10 of 13. But he said, we still have to improve. And when he was asked, you know, where? And he said, playing with intensity. I mean, I, with the, I think the Nats got out to like a 10-2 start in this game. Um, uh, and some of that was just random shot making and things like that. But it's still, you know, in his mind kind of reflected the fact that they don't always kind of start games uh, you know, with the full kind of intensity and energy, I think that they that they hope they're getting closer to that. Um, but at least at least at least last night and more so of recent, they're showing more consistent effort and attention to the more nuanced and, uh, and detailed areas of the game. And and you know, for Hawks fans and for them, I'm, I'm sure that there's a hope that that's going to help them as they uh, move toward um, what's what's sure to be a, a kind of playing scenario. Yeah, there have been lots of buzzwords. Uh, consistency has been a huge word this year, intensity, execution, et cetera. And we can touch on all that stuff in a second. I want to ask about the defense as well. Before we get to all of that, though, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. I'm really trying to eat right this year. I'm having a lot of success with that because of Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually a lot easier for me because I actually enjoy eating Built Bar from the time, from the protein-infused puff bars. They're fantastic. All the other fan favorites from Built Bar. Each and every bar has 100% real chocolate on the outside, which makes a huge difference, and they taste great. Top of the taste, Built Bars have low calorie and high protein, and you can actually replace your candy bars with Built Bars both in taste and to improve your overall nutrition. Built.com has all the answers and nutrition information that you possibly could want, and we blow away by it because most Built Bars only have 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. Built Bar has longtime flavors like coconut and almond, and some of my personal favorites beyond that, and also new flavors coming all the time, plus each and every flavor is absolutely delicious. The best way to find out about all the stuff from Built Bar is go to Built.com. Yes, that is Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 when you get there. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. That's 15% off at Built.com if you use the promo code LOCK15. One more time, 15% off at Built.com. All right, Glenn. Uh, the defense was kind of interesting in this one. Obviously, the Nets are very explosive on offense. And Kevin Durant, 55 points, speaks for itself. And he was extremely efficient, too, as crazy as that is. Like... He was unbelievable. We all kind of watched that. Um, I want to start with him. Um, we'll get into the backcourt stuff because I, I made lots of comments about how bad I thought the Nets guards were in this game. Um, but KD doing what he did, how much of that is just KD being ridiculous, which certainly is part of it, um, unquestionably. But how much of that is uh, is on the Hawks? And, you know, there was lots of discussion about how they were defending him. You know, Hunter had some foul trouble early in the game. They went to TLC. And as I kind of talked about a little bit, I know you did too, they don't have a lot of great options. It's something we, we talked about for a long time that gets these big wings. And obviously Durant is perhaps the number one threat in this realm in the entire league. But outside of Hunter, they don't really have great options. And that was a, sort of a reminder in this game uh, to some level. Yeah, it was interesting to watch because even with my, on my rewatch, when I went back, um, so many of his shots were contested. And, and you know, as he just alluded, um, it, it, his pull-up is, is basically, um, you know, I don't think anyone else has this pull-up game right now in terms of uh, just the makeability, how, how clean and repeatable it is, what the percentage he makes, but also just the release point that no one can get to. Um, yeah, he has that, you know, the handle and the step back and the other side to get separation and the high release points. So I don't really know how you do much if he's just shooting over the strongest contest you can present. If they go in, they go in. And I thought that was probably 80% of the explanation for what KD's outcome was last night. And to kind of point at the, some of the maturity the Hawks showed, they just like, okay, we're going to try to limit everybody else, you know? And and they did, they worked really hard rebounding. They're often three to four bodies in the paint, helping rebound uh, and things like that. So, you know, 
I thought that was kind of a mature aspect, but you know, I didn't see anything that was uh, what I would call even a remotely significant flaw in how they were defending him. They eventually did make an adjustment and, and were throwing two bodies at him almost the entire second half. Um, and then the Nets kind of countered the counter by having him get the ball up and get it back and making it a little harder for them to kind of keep two bodies on him. So that was an interesting part, part of the game to watch in terms of how the Hawks tried to kind of adjust there and how the Nets kind of countered that back. Um, but I, I thought a hundred was fine. I thought some of the fouls called early were, you know, marginal, uh, I, I would say, but he's Kevin Durant, you know, he, you know, he's uh, one of the greatest scorers ever. He's going to get, um, you know, gray area calls consistently as any player of his stature is going to get. Uh, so I thought the defense was, was good, you know, overall, I just thought he was just, you know, as he can be a ridiculous shot maker. I, I was, I guess I was a little surprised that he, had never put up 55 before. It just, it yeah. just seems like, you know, how long his career has been and, and such, but, uh, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, career high on an incredibly efficient night and so many shots were with a hand in his face. What do you do? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you, you use the word mature. I agree with that. Like, I think that um, it's not typical of this Hawks team this year to like stick to what their plan was in the way that they did last night. So, well, and that sounds crazy because they get, because they get 55 points to a guy, but, if you go on the on the numbers overall, aside from three-point shooting, which, again, was fueled largely by Durant and a little bit of Kyrie, but um, they did a really good job across the board defensively, and it's not only about stopping one guy. Like, they kind of just let not, – not that they wanted to let KD do that, but they certainly didn't overreact too much. They Like, like you said, there were some funny moments once they made the adjustment, um, and there were some funny, like, screenshots and uh, and angles where you see, like, you know, literally him being doubled, du- doubled off the ball. It's, not, it's, not, it's just kind of stuff that you don't usually see. Honestly, stuff that Trey Young gets the treatment off sometimes, and Hawks fans notice that. But they did a really good job on everybody else. I mean, even Kyrie had 31 points, but on 32 shots and no free throws, and he was five of 18 on twos. Like they stayed solid. And you know, the one thing people were asking me about was like why they put um, they had TLC guarding him for a while instead of Hunter. And I thought it was just as simple as they were trying to keep Hunter out of foul trouble. Like he was already in foul trouble. And that was my observation. Obviously, Nate's not going to get into that specifically, but I don't really make a big deal out of that. And yeah, if you've been on the roster, like TLC is the next best option behind Hunter of, of available players. Maybe right. you could throw Delon on him, but like Delon is much better against a guy like Kyrie. Like that, that, was, that was one of the people that people were asking me if they should try Delon. It's like, well, Delon, God bless him. I'm the biggest Delon fan in the world. He's got what seven inches shorter than Kevin Durant. Right. Like he's not going to be able to bother KD's jump shot, I don't think. And then like, yeah, maybe they could try a Kongwu, but like he doesn't guard perimeter guys like that like someone threw out the, the comparison i wonder what you think about this like of a Kongo guarding Giannis. my reaction was look like kd and Giannis are very very different like they're they're kind of the same height in some respects as crazy as that sounds because right. kd's enormous but like i mean all respect to a Kongo who's, who's going to be a great defender he already he already is a really good defender having him guard kevin around in the perimeter is not going to be a solution i don't think right now yeah, I mean, how many reps has Okongwu had against a guy with that kind of ball skill, right? Right, none, Zero. none. And and with Giannis, you don't worry really about the step back. I mean, you try to challenge it if if he's in rhythm, you know, and things like that. But statistically speaking, that's a shot that you anything's going to kind of live with there. So it's a completely different thing. Giannis is trying to bully his way to the rim ninety percent of the time. Okongwu is well suited um, to try to resist as well as you know, most guys at that position. Um, there and a lot of teams put their center on on Giannis. You, you just don't see that um, with KD. He's just got way too much. He's too good with angles. He's too, you know he's, he's too um, 
has all the kind of the ball handling package that you know, anyone could have, and, and then the release point, which we talked about earlier. So I didn't view a Kongu as a viable uh, option at all. Um, I thought it was good to see the adjustment to try to kind of double him. Um, but the Nets being, uh, you know, a fairly veteran team, uh, for the most part, kind of, you know, solved for that pretty quickly and got KD back on track in the fourth quarter. And that's what allowed them to get the game all the way down to, I think, one point. I think it was at one point. Yeah, the, it, it got to one in the final three minutes or so at one point. Yeah. Right. So, so you know, the, the Nets kind of figured that out um, and, and such. But, you know, you know, as I wrote in my follow, I like, like, there's a reason even if you look at all the defensive flaws that were really obvious last night with the Nets, nobody really wants to draw them. No one, say, is going to finish one through four and the East wants to draw them because this can happen. And no one really has a solution for KD. And if he goes, um, you know, uh, kind of white hot for the series, it may not matter how well you play. <laughs> Berkeley could still, if, uh, if not just simply pushing a team all the way to six or seven hard games, say, in the first round, um, you know, win that series, and it's, uh, it's their matchup and a headache that no other team in, the, in that range of the standings really can can offer. That's not to say that I dismiss everyone else, no. um, but the, you know, there's two Hall of Fame caliber scores on the Nets roster that are an absolute nightmare and a headache to kind of deal with, and sometimes they just do what they do regardless of what you do on defense, and that's that's a I think everyone would want to avoid that. For sure. And I mean, even this is not an excuse because, of course, the Hawks are without John Collins as well. So it's not like it's a huge uh, lopsided thing. But the Nets being without Seth Curry at the last minute last night, um, as well as Bruce Brown and I'm going to Gordon Dragic's job as well. I'm not sure how much the, how much he helps them, but um, I, I don't want to overstate it. But I really I really thought Brooklyn's guards were uh, pretty much as bad as possible. I mean, obviously, Kyrie had seven threes and that kind of saved him a little bit. But he was five of eighteen on twos. Patty Mills was Patty Mills is really good at basketball, but he's not he's not making shots. He doesn't help you because defensively he's not going to give you much of anything. And then uh, not to pick on Cam Thomas, but I thought Cam Thomas was the worst player on the floor in pretty much the entire game. So uh, that that really gave the Hawks an advantage, even on a night when Herder and Bogey didn't really have it going. The Hawks still had a lot better guard play than the Nets did because the Nets just didn't have much going on back there. Yeah, I, I remember one point tweeting like Nash has to get Cam Thomas off the floor, uh, and I didn't pick this, I didn't pick this up live at all. But I went back and watched. Blake was in my mind. Blake was actually more harmful. Now he wasn't on yeah, the floor he, as he long. Yeah, he played less. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Right, but man, when I when I rewatched, I was like, man, Blake is was oh they they don't terrible. play him not good not good on the, not the rabbit hole but they don't they don't play him much anymore and I I think he's just cooked to be honest I mean Blake's like a fringe Hall of Famer like Blake's a great player uh, at one point obviously but they they kind of taken him out of the rotation at times and I think we kind of saw why last night he's he's I think he's done unfortunately yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how they handle the uh, staffing the four and the five heading into the playoffs it's like man did a guy like Paul Millsap might really help you guys you know. I mean, they're, they're already so, starting Kessler Edwards, who's a rookie, who I like, but is still a rookie who they're starting regularly. And right. then, like, they need Bruce Brown to be great because he's kind of their only option um, at, at, a at a certain point. Yeah, not to the Nets are. We just talked about how scary they are, and they are, but like, they have some very obvious flaws as well. Like, they they, they do, and I mean, I, you know, I don't know what's going on with Patty Mills' shot making. You know, maybe he's kind of hitting a wall. I mean, he's been you know playing a while and. He plays with a ton of intensity and energy. One of my favorite guys to watch over the years, for sure. Um, but when he's not, you said a few minutes ago, when he's not making shots, it's kind of a whole different kind of calculation to figure out how you kind of set him up to help you uh, and such. So, you know, it, 
I still think no one wants to draw them because of KD and Kyrie. Um, you know, when you look at what's going on with Cam Thomas right now, and even Kessler Edwards, you know, we if you've kind of followed NBA Twitter, you've heard all sorts of kind of bursts of uh, excitement for those guys for different reasons, obviously, uh, across the season. But, you know, the Nats are trying to elevate their play as they prepare to head into the postseason. And many, many times, just what you'll see is the young guys like Cam Thomas is not able to kind of give them what they need as they look to elevate their play. And the same is true of Kessler Edwards as well. And, that, and that's not a knock on either one of those guys, you know, per se. But when a team, a veteran team, and a team led by two veterans like Katie and Kyrie is trying to raise their level of play, that's when it becomes harder for the young guys to kind of understand like, oh, man, I've been contributing solidly all year long, but now I've got to elevate my play. Young guys naturally have a hard time kind of, uh, you know, immediately kind of responding to that. And, and that's going to be tricky for – how the Nets deal with that. I have no idea what the likelihood is of, of Ben Simmons playing for this team, you know, heading into the postseason. Um, you know, I presume they're doing everything they can to get Seth healthy, but they really can't afford one of their veterans, you know, supporting players like you mentioned Brown and Seth uh, and Patty. You know, they need those guys playing every game, playing all the minutes that, that, that they need those guys to soak up and playing well for them to kind of take a real shot, even if, the view is that the one wants to, to, to draw them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to zoom out and ask you some stuff about the rest of the season for the Hawks in a second. But uh, before we get to that big picture, look ahead, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. The Masters is coming this week. I know the Southeast is actually a huge deal, a ton of national interest as well as international interest. I know I absolutely love the Masters as someone who grew up in the state of Georgia. And with that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and your sports information this year. All the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more. BetOnline is the best spot for all the latest developments of the sports board, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Not just basketball that you hear on this podcast or golf either. They actually have continued source for all the sports wagering information at BetOnline and also have every possible theme they could possibly imagine, honestly, including live betting and your favorite casino games. BetOnline has the odds on all kinds of sports from baseball, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, soccer, cricket, entertainment bets, and much more. It's also a great time to look at the futures market, both, both in baseball, season's about to start over there, of course, and the NBA with the playoffs approaching in earnest in the very, very near future with the Hawks participating in the postseason this time around. And the website right now is betonline.net. Head there on your computer and mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action in the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, Glenn. Um, obviously, the Hawks, as we speak on Sunday, April the 3rd, they have a game lead on Brooklyn, now after that victory on Saturday, as well as a game lead on Charlotte. Um, they have not been ruled out of getting out of the top, uh, into the top six, but with uh, one result, any direction, they are locked into the play-in. So we have to assume right now that the range is 7-10 to 10 for Atlanta. And 7 um, is not like likely, but certainly possible. If they were to win out or go 3-1, and one, they have a chance to do that. Um, before we like, sort of get into like the, the specifics, do you feel like they're playing their best basketball? Because that's been, that's been a theme of stuff that I was reading and hearing after the game. And obviously winning five in a row at this point in the season um, was badly needed and also uh, certainly is noteworthy. But, um, you know, the schedule has been pretty favorable for a while, which has to be said, at least acknowledged on some level as well. But that does not, you know, they just beat the Nets. So that's a marquee victory. Are they playing their best basketball right now or something close to it? Because, um, you know, clearly if they, as we all know, even if you're skeptical of the Hawks, on some level, we've seen them reach um, heights that have been much higher than their uh, season output. So if they're if they're getting close to that again, that could be pretty scary. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. And you know, in the the good news for Hawks fans is it's it's you know, quite obviously the right time. Um, 
and I talk my my analysis in that you know around that up to the fact that the defensive effort intensity is there. They're not um, kind of letting their uh, effort and intensity be dictated by immediate results. You know, when they have ad- adversity, they're kind of pushing through and sticking with the plan and playing through. They, they, they just look like a more veteran kind of mature team uh, right now. Um, but I still think, you know, as a team, they're going to draw most of their energy, even if it doesn't fluctuate as much, you know, from how things are going on offense. And I think they have pushed past uh, some of the issues they were having maybe a month back or so um, where they went through a long stretch where they didn't see an opponent that was using drop coverage uh, and which, you know, really causes them to, to kind of refactor a lot of the ways that they were generating offense last year, for example, you know, Trey made a million, you know, floaters last year and kind of just, just killed the drop coverage. Um, but I, you know, I felt like, you know, for, you know, the latter part of February going into March and maybe towards mid-March or whenever, that there's way too much one-on-one isolation, burning, you know, long stretches of the shot clock, trying to identify the right matchup. And a lot of times that was Trey trying to take a big kind of into space and attack uh, the big, which Trey is capable of doing, but it's, that's still not going to be, I think, where any team wants to kind of um, get, you know, their first action or their first kind of effort at something. Uh, I think the ball movement's better. I think Trey is realizing when a team is loading up against him that it creates seams uh, for his opponents to attack. Um, I think they're, you know, back to using more kind of intentional weak side action as opposed to just having guys kind of standing on the perimeter. So I think the the proactiveness that we see on offense, the the less dependency on isolation uh, kind of attack has helped them move uh, past some uh, offensive obstacles. And it's kind of funny to talk about that because I don't think they ever fell below second in offensive rating, but I but it, it hurt them in important stretches of games. And it held them back against opponents that they should have had absolutely no problem really kind of solving for. And I think that that's where their mojo comes from is when they're kind of hitting uh, on all cylinders on offense, um, it sustains their energy, it sustains their intensity. And that keep, I think it keeps them feeling more confident about their opportunity to, to control the game. And like last night, to wrestle control back from that down the stretch, despite a five minute, seven second um, kind of drought on offense. Uh, to me was just indicative that I think the team is more confident in what they're doing on both ends. So that that makes me feel like, you know, I'm watching the team do things that they weren't doing at all for some stretches, and then maybe other stretches were doing inconsistently. They're, the defensive effort, uh, communication, pushing through adversity, doing what you can, not becoming deflated when Katie's going off for 55 or something else like that. And then an offense, um, not just buying into, okay, we're going to attack the mismatch and that's all we're going to do. Everybody else is going to stand around and watch. They pushed through all of that and they've kind of broken what I thought were those most problematic patterns of the last, you know, four to six weeks during the times that they were, you know, before they got into kind of this real stretch of success. So to me, I feel like those are the things they have to do to give themselves the best shot to win games now and and past uh, the regular season, depending on whatever matchup they end up with. So long answer, but... Summarized version, yes. No, that's uh, one of the long answers. That's good. Uh, I, I think that's uh, – I would echo all of that. And, and you know, that's the more specific stuff. And I'll go broad and just say, like, what they've done in this 10-3 and three stretch is win the games they're supposed to win. And for the most part this year, that's been a problem. They've not always done that. I mean, with the exception of a home loss to New Orleans in this stretch, which did happen, and they should have won that game probably. 
But every other time, I mean, the, the Detroit game was kind of a weird one, but it was like there was a back-to-back, et cetera. They, they've beaten teams that they're supposed to beat. Um, and the, the flip side of that is that if you go game by game, we, we won't do that. They really only have two games that were like big wins in that stretch. It was that Memphis game without Trey, which is bizarre. They just kind of dominated against the Grizzlies without Trey. It was a strange result. And then last night, every other game, they've been in a favorable position. Like they were big favorites and – I believe eight of the 10 games, even that golden state game, which might look t- which might look tough is at home against the Stephless warriors. And that's just not the same team. So you could, you could see what you want to see in this stretch, I think, but I I've, I'm kind of with you. They, they've shown better habits. They've kind of figured some things out. They've been a little bit more steady. They've been a little bit more attentive and maybe that's just the time of year. You know, there was the whole round of um, bringing back up the, the boredom comments for the season. Uh, and I think they've kind of, gotten rid of that now at least at least for now knock on wood if you're a hawks fan that they won't go out and lose to washington at home on wednesday in a game that they probably need to win but um, that's been for me the big picture takeaway is like look there's just been a little bit less of those just flat out inexplicable performances that they've had way too many of this year and you can still find them in the recent past but there have been uh, some taking care of business moments too yeah and even they should have won the, uh, that pistons game really both of them if we kind of look at them together you know, they're about three weeks apart, I think, in that Pelicans game. But the last Pistons matchup and the Pelicans matchup, it's not like the Pistons have been pushing everybody they're playing. You know, they, yeah, they're they, actually, they, they've, been, they've been pretty frisky recently for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and, maybe and, a month plus now. And the Pelicans play a very professional game, and they push everyone too. So, yeah. um, you know, you know, so I – I don't. I think from that vantage point, you can kind of say to yourself, like, don't just look at the record when you look at Detroit. They've been raising their level of play across the year. Kate's been becoming uh, more aggressive and more sure, you know, kind of about what he's doing. They've gotten Olenek back, which makes a massive difference so for a young guard to have that veteran big to kind of work with. Um, so again, I, I don't. I don't want to be mistaken as to say those were acceptable losses, if you will. But I just <laughs> think that maybe the average NBA fan doesn't know how well Detroit had been, has been playing during that stretch and how really how uh, tough New Orleans has been across the whole season. Yeah, the Detroit loss as well was, was, a, was a travel back-to-back, and that's, that's just throughout, throughout most things. Unless you're playing one of those, you know, Pacers, Blazers, G League quality teams that we've seen recently, that, or maybe the Thunder that was just horrific. Unless you're playing a team that just has nothing, that's a tough spot for anybody. A road back-to-back is just – that's just tough. So – Anyway, I've said we've said a lot about that. Um, I do want to ask you one more specific-ish kind of question before we look ahead at the schedule, and that's the uh, the John Collins lingering elements because they gave a kind of a non-update on Collins. They were kind of backed into a corner to give an update because they said they would after two weeks. And basically, what the Hawks said um, on Friday was that Collins is continuing to progress through his rehab, and his basketball activity will depend. Um, I'm saying I'm going re- to read this now. Will we'll be dependent on upcoming follow-up appointments with foot and finger specialists in consultation with the team's medical staff. So I kind of laugh. Like that's the most non-update in the history of updates. And I, I think my guess has been for the last three weeks or so, and I've said this a few times that he won't come back. They won't rule him out. They haven't done that. Maybe he'll play. I could be wrong about this, but um, that was not an encouraging update. It, it didn't rule him out either. But uh, I, I think in my mind, I'm looking at like, look. The Hawks are going to be what they are without John Collins for the rest of the way. If he plays, that's great. And it's a notable loss. I know they've had this stretch without him and they've had some success, but um, I'm not going to entertain the better without John Collins stuff. I don't, I don't believe in that in any way, shape, or form. But they, they have sort of adapted to it, and you know they're, they're kind of settled in this groove now where 
that they've been starting TLC as sort of the placeholder. Nate, uh, agree or disagree with him, Nate's big into the keeping guys in roles thing. Um, they, they like having Bogey and Gallo off the bench. That's the reason why they're doing that. No one believes, including Nate, the TLC is better than Bogey. No one believes that in the world. Um, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's just interesting to see. They sort of kind of had to figure it out now, and they've had, they've had a few weeks, and I wonder – what you think of the team quality just generally, because clearly that's a, that's a big loss. Collins is arguably our second best player, but they've kind of figured some things out without him. And I think they have to kind of play on that now. Yeah. I mean, I think they are figuring it out too. Uh, I mentioned uh, in the middle of the game last night that I thought um, Hunter's activity on the defensive glass was as high as I think I've ever seen it. Thank you for saying then, that. I, I forgot because I've been picking on him for a while about that. And I, we should definitely point that out because he was actually quite good on the glass last night, which is a departure, but I'm glad you said it. Cause I forgot to say that it's, that was a notable thing. And I kind of poked fun of it because I wasn't there. But, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> he, was, he, he was actually, uh, I think that was probably his best rebounding game of, of the entire season in terms of just the numbers and the activity. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I looked it up when I was writing last night, the 11s is career high and he had 10 last night. And not, not that the stats always tell the, the full story there, but he even just like kind of coming down and being another body down there to kind of help. Well, you know, he's as we all know, he's playing more and more at the floor because JC is out, and and that's just critical, especially for any stretches where it's you know him with a Congo, you know, which I know Nate tries to stay away from. Nate really does try to pair kind of Gallo, who isn't the strongest rebounder in, in the world either. Yeah, Gallo with Congo doesn't really work either for that, to be honest. Like I, I've and, I've kind of long thought they might try to play Gallo with Capella more, but Nate just doesn't seem to want to do that a ton. So right. We'll see. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I mean, Gallo does know where to be, and Gallo's played power forward forever, so at least yes. he has kind of the muscle memory to do some of the basic things there. I hope it's still, it's still kind of tough, but that that really is critical to kind of making it all work. Is is DeAndre helping rebound the ball, um, especially on defense? Um, and uh, on the flip side, Hunter has embraced some of the things playing offense at the four. I've noted. Um, that they're running when they run the kind of the four or five staggered, uh, you know, high pick and roll. That traditionally they float the four kind of um, pops, if you will, to the three point line and the five goes to the rim. They've inverted that. And DeAndre's been slipping to the rim. And there's some interesting stuff that like Trey and Clint are doing to occupy the opposing team center. So he's even been embracing, you know, some of the kind of nuanced parts of being a guy who is in the pick and roll as the screener and not just kind of floating out to the three-point line. And so, you know, I know that Hunter has had uh, what most Hawk fans consider to be a disappointing season. It's been real up and down. There's been a lot of bad from him this year, you know, for sure. Um, I don't know how much of that is attributable to just the injury, you know, breaking the continuity, you know, that he might have otherwise had and stuff. But part of, the, you know, this stretch working is, is DeAndre doing increasingly – uh, even if it's been kind of a fairly incremental kind of um, journey for him, the things that they need him to do when he's playing at the four, and and that's what's what's helping them have some success with JCL. I don't at all buy that they're a better team without JC. I think that's no. just absolute crazy talk. Um, and they miss him, and and Gallo is um, really important to what they do on offense. Really important to the second unit, as we know. Um, but there are some matchups where, you know, he's really tough fit on defense um, and they'll have to kind of figure that out, um, you know, going forward. But, you know, you know, for me, the, the absence of JC just kind of makes you realize, like, you know, if I could kind of for a moment kind of fast forward to the offseason, I think a lot of people assume Gallo's not going to be on this team next year. 
but she has that you know smallish cap hold uh, going into the off season. But man, if, if they're going to move up from Gallo, they're going to find someone who can shoot at that position to help because it can't just be JC, especially if they come bring back both Capella and Congo at the five and don't ha- don't make a move that results in them having some shooting at the five and such. Um, I mean, on one hand, it's like sometimes I'm like, how is Gallo going to help defensively and match up X, Y, or Z? On the other side, it's like, thank goodness he's on the roster because he gives you so much stretch shooting at the four that just gives Trey, you know, so much space to work with. Um, you know, and when you get a guy like Gallo, who's a veteran, who was never, you know, using much athleticism, didn't have much athleticism to work with really ever, that's kind of what you get. But, I mean, he's so critical to what they're doing. And, um, you know, it, it was funny to watch the second quarter last night again when the Hawks won almost, you know, doubled up the points that the Nets put up and they almost couldn't score like the first three minutes of the quarter, but Gallo, Bogey, DeLong were playing defense and, and really kind of, you know, bringing their intensity there. So, you know, hopefully they continue na- uh, navigating this. Hopefully Gallo's elbow, uh, it just kind of gets, gets better. And he doesn't have any other issue because they, I don't see how they survive um, any time. If DeAndre doesn't keep embracing what is needed for him at the four and Gallo's availability, and it kind of brings the things that he can bring is, is just critical. But uh, they miss JC on defense, I think, you know, more in a lot of ways because of what Dal- because of what Gallo brings. Um, um, but that is going to take a team effort to kind of cover that loss. Um, and lately they've been, I think, hitting that mark, and hopefully we'll continue doing that. For sure. If they can get that honor performance channeled from Saturday and replicate it, then that'd be fantastic. I, I don't think you can make on that just yet because he just hasn't shown it. For that, and especially in the rebounding categories, but right. um, and obviously they, they do have Jalen Johnson to maybe you know plug in long term, uh, but he's he's a different player from Gallo. I mean, Gallo is a very unique, as you sort of described there. He's a unique guy in that he does have some fit challenges, but he's also still a fantastic offensive player. I mean, just full stop the way that he has to be guarded, the matchup stuff he can do if you need him to, all that is very. He's he's kind of a one of a kind on the roster. So when he's out, as we've seen, he, I think he missed three out of four games recently, and they just weren't the same team on offense. They're just not. Um, without not him, at all. Not, especially without Collins, like if they don't have either one of those guys, it, it becomes a real challenge offensively at times as well. So um, we'll see how they handle that. But uh, you know, I'd love to be proven wrong. If you know if John wakes up tomorrow and can go, that'd be fantastic. I just um, people keep asking me like I, my 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 party line is like I, I'm assuming he's gone. I'm not telling you he definitely is, but uh, right. I think all the indications uh, having done this for a while, all the indications are out there that he's probably not going to play again, but we'll see. Yeah. I'll be listen, surprised. They, they can make a run too. I mean, this is, this is a team um, as we sort of wrap this thing up in a second, like they could win a series. It wouldn't stun me if they did that. And that gives you, and that gives John Collins two more weeks to come back. So that's why they're not closing the door. I think personally, if they knew the season was going to be over in a week, then they would have closed the door already, but they know yeah. that they are capable of winning a series or getting deeper into a series. And if you give John two more weeks, maybe he's back by then. We'll see. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, assuming that, that that we're right, and John probably doesn't play again, you know, Jalen gives them the 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 talent in the offensive transition that JC normally gives them. Yep. Uh, Jalen is also kind of a pretty instinctive rebounder and just has more athleticism to kind of use uh, in that area. So I do think there are some areas where Jalen can help for some short stretches where. Um, he's put on the floor at the right time, depending on who the other team has on the floor at the time. So I, I do hope this, you know, in the process, we see Jalen helping for kind of short stretches. I, I know Nate um, manages young guys with a pretty short lease uh, almost all the time, so we'll see. Um, but, you know, 
I would like to see when the Hawks maybe get a little bogged down in the half-court offense, that might be a time to put Jalen out there and see if his ability to kind of run the floor and help in transition can kind of get you some easy buckets. But um, I think that has to be at least part of the thought process for how you work through this college absence is some um, thought to when you might be able to put Jalen on the floor safely and, and leverage uh, his strengths. I think that has to be part of the, the formula, even if it's something that you only go to as a secondary or tertiary plan. Yeah, I think in particular, maybe getting him ready to play against Washington and Houston down the stretch would be a good idea just because, you know, putting him out there in Toronto on Tuesday may be a challenge. Toronto is a very well-coached team. That's an interesting team. That's a road game in a tough environment. Um, And Miami is sort of the same thing. Um, Those are the last four games, by the way, Tuesday in Toronto, then Washington at home on a back-to-back, then at at Miami on Friday, and then at Houston in the finale on Sunday. Um, You know, most projection systems are thinking two and two is the most likely outcome. Uh, that's probably the case. You know, they'll, they'll be underdogs in Toronto and Miami, barring some, uh, you know, doesn't mean they can't win. They obviously can win those games, but they will, not, they will not be picked to win those games probably in the in the market. And then, you know, Washington at home is a back-to-back. That's a game that they should win, but it's still a back-to-back with some travel and customs and all that stuff coming back from uh, coming back from Toronto. And then Houston uh, is not very good, but that's the finale, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I think they're more likely to be three and one than one and three, if that makes sense. I think two Agreed. and two is probably the right projection, but three and one is closer than one and three is. They can go one, they can go four and up. This is the Hawks team, as we've seen. They can beat anybody when they when they play well. I, I think. I wonder what you think about this. I think the Toronto game is one that I am l- more um, skeptical of than the Miami game. I think Miami's not playing all that well. And Toronto um, scares me more than Miami does at the moment. I, I know in the standings, Miami's the number one seed, but I think the Hawks actually match up better with Miami than, than Toronto. I could, I could be wrong about that, but I wonder what you think about those two games. Yeah, I mean, Toronto is has won, I think, 11 of 14, as the Hawks have kind of won 10 of 13. And the Toronto's definitely hitting their stride um, right right now. I, 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 think, I think Toronto throws so much switching at you that when the Hawks have struggled in the half-court offense, that's what been what um, has been the issue. Like Boston, you know, last time they played, Boston is like a half to use their, you know, really high-functioning switching scheme to really, you know, make it tough on the Hawks' offense. Toronto can do that. Toronto plays a lot of younger guys, so they don't execute at nearly the same level Boston does from a consistency standpoint. But they, they're so athletic and so long. Um, you know, like OG didn't play the last time the Hawks, you know, faced them, and that was – a really big deal. If they have, you know, OG and Siakam and Scotty Barnes, it can kind of mix in some constructive minutes from Precious and, you know, Thad Young now. They got Thad, exactly, Thad Young yeah. uh, kind of mix in there too. That That's the, some really switchable lineups. I still think in the big picture, Toronto doesn't have enough shot making to, say, threaten a, uh, maybe a series um, significantly. I'm not going to say they can't win one, depending on who sure. that matchup is. Um, but that's what I see in Toronto, is if, if the Hawks allow that switching defense to, you know, frustrate them and they are kind of baited into a lot of isolation attack, that's going to be a really hard game to win in a tough environment, um, you know, during kind of a, a tough week where there's a lot of pressure. So I see that being more challenging to Miami too. On the Miami side, you know, I, I never know kind of what Spo is trying to build his team up toward for yeah. the postseason. And I think, you know, when you kind of look at the, what their journey has been this year, rest is going to be probably the priority. You know, there there's not a necessarily no-brainer first-round matchup that anyone is, is seeking out apart from if you can duck, you know, Brooklyn. But even then, like, you know, how do you project 
who's going to get the seventh seed coming out of the seven eight play? You know, it's, you can't. It's, I, I mean, I, you might people might. I'm sure people keep people keep assuming that Brooklyn will be the seventh seed because Brooklyn will be the favorite in the play-in, which is probably the case. But like as we just saw, Brooklyn just lost to Atlanta in a play-in in a, in a potential play-in preview. Like they could lose to anybody. It's a one game. Sure. It's a one game season. And that's the thing about you know Hawks fans asking me earlier today. Like you know, do you think it would, would be better for the Hawks to be the eight seed to play uh, to play Miami instead of Milwaukee? And I'm like, well, look. I would prefer to play uh, Miami than Milwaukee, but when it comes to the play-in, you just got to get out of the play-in, man. Go win. Like it, you, right. what, what you want to have happen is be this. You want to be the 17 going in, so you can have two home games because sure. you might have a bad night. I mean, if Trey shoots four for 22 in the first play-in game, you're in trouble, and that's why you don't want to be in the nine-ten game because look, anybody as good as Trey is, if he goes out and has a bad night in the nine-ten play-in matchup, your season's over. And that's 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 the that's the margin. That's why it's so good to be in the top six. That's why Nate kept talking about top six, probably longer than anybody thought that was actually a possibility because they know the play-in is there's just variance, man. It's, it's that's that's the thing. Yeah, and and regardless, like finishing seven eight, uh, even if we set like home court benefit aside, gives you basic sim- the simple math tells you you've got twice as much likelihood of getting into the playoffs because you got two shots in one game as opposed to yep. one. You know, so it's, you know, that's just, it's kind of silly to think about lining that up. To your point, you just got to get yourself in, hope you get, you know, um, you know, not the worst matchup for yourself and get, you know, not some Milwaukee, sort of reasonable please. matchup. Please yeah, no Milwaukee if I'm the Hawks. Yeah, yeah for, for sure, for sure. Um, it, you know, I, so it's funny because you're, you're causing me to think I'm working on right now, like who, I'm still working on who do I think is going to come out of the East? So, you know, what do I think that looks like? That'll certainly come down to kind of, how they end up seeding and you know what order they're in and things like that, but I'm you know I'm struggling with that. But when I put it down and say okay, I'll come back to this tomorrow. We're going to tomorrow. Milwaukee still just jumps out at you, you know, yeah. uh, for, among that group, and that that's probably where I'll end up. As much as I respect what Boston is doing right now, um, Milwaukee just just has the ability to throw things at you that really really no one else can. So I, I agree, like that's not the one you want to draw, but you you're not going to go, you know lose uh you know the seven eight game no. and try to line that up for yourself there is for there sure. is no uh there's no pit once you're locked in the play in which the hawks probably will be in the next couple of days i mean it's still impossible as we speak and by the way we're recording this sunday afternoon uh, if you want a little bit of a, of a playoff uh look ahead play in etc uh toronto plays miami today if you want to watch some Eastern Conference basketball, that's a seven o'clock game. If you're listening to this on Sunday, um, and then also uh, Charlotte plays Miami on Tuesday, so those are pretty. Miami has some lot. Miami has a lot of relevant games for the Hawks, both uh, against the Hawks and uh, involving Hawks opponents in the next uh, in the next few days. But um, yeah, I mean, I get it. Just get in the field. That's what I'm sure Nate will be preaching. Uh, if you're the if you're in the seven eight, uh, and I think the Hawks, if I had to guess as of now, will probably be in the seven eight. Um, I would not have said that a few you know days and weeks ago, but now they look to be in a good position. Um, doesn't mean there's anything assured. Um, I think if you go three and one, you're pretty much locked in to being in the seven eight. But if you go two and two, you open the door up to get past and all that fun stuff. So we'll get into that as we get in, as we go as we go here. But if you take care of business, you're in good position. And honestly, if it was to be Hawks Cavs in the in the seven eight, I think you're probably favored in that game given the way that Cleveland is playing and their roster right now. Not to not to be too optimistic. And to and look too far ahead, but uh, I think Cleveland is not the Cleveland that was uh, the case three months ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hawks fans probably to a person have PTSD around imagining 
Kevin Love having a seven for nine uh, shooting performance from the three point line and just winning the game on that. But just uh, any any Cav, any Cavs playoff series is going to send some longtime Hawks <laughs> fans into a tizzy. Uh, I, no, I covered no, I covered no. a couple of those. They they were not a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. I remember I remember watching the uh, the the sweep series that was so heartbreaking from Brazil. Uh, I was working down in Brazil at the time, and I. I I feel like sometimes when I put on Hawks calves that I feel like I look around like, am I back in Brazil? Because a lot of these uh, kind of uh, yeah. feelings are, are, are kind of surfacing for me. There you go. Uh, well, Glenn, thank you for all the time. I appreciate that. And uh, you saved me here on this Sunday as I was, uh, as I kind of was trying to live tweet Saturday. Uh, I was the psycho on press row at the final four watching a uh, regular season NBA game on my iPad because the Hawks were playing a big one. So I was trying to help everybody. I was sure it was beautiful mind stuff, but uh, you got a, a closer eye than I did. And I encourage people to read what you wrote as well last night, as well as your tweets and all that fun stuff. Anything else that you want to plug, feel free. If you're watching YouTube, you can already see Glenn's Twitter handle on the screen. But if you're not watching YouTube, he can tell you where to find it. Yeah, at Wells underscore Glenn. Um, you know, I try to put technical content out, as most people know. I also try to have a little bit of fun, so sense of humor uh and stuff too but i think most people who follow me follow me because i i do um try to kind of break video down from kind of a, a coaching perspective and a technical standpoint things like that um and you can find you know a good bit of my work at, at peace Three hoops that anything i write that is published kind of kind of goes there and uh still very much enjoy being a part of that team that brad helped cultivate and grow and nurture uh you know for a, a number of years still a great group of guys to to kind of even if we're just talking about the game in Slack, you know, during the game, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a fun group. So yeah, at Wellness Center Brooklyn on Twitter, uh, follow the group's work at Peace Street Hoops. Um, and uh, on Twitter, I, I'm not one to ignore uh, people that hit me up with random. I, I like talking. Uh, so even if, <laughs> even if we disagree, you know, I, I enjoy kind of a disagreeable conversation as long as it's kept polite uh, and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, if you have interest, kind of, kind of find me on Twitter at Wellness Center Brooklyn or follow our work at Peace Street Hoops. Yeah, I would definitely recommend following Glenn for all of those reasons. Also, I should plug the podcast that you are regularly on with our, uh, our friend Kevin Chenard. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, you're you're uh, no, that's that's a great it's a great show. I'm a listener as much as uh, Kevin and I are arch rivals. Um, I sit next to Kevin all the time at Hawks games, but uh, that's a, that's a great show if you want another another Hawks listening option. ATL on twenty nine with Glenn uh, and Kevin regularly being on there is uh, that's a good listen as well. So check that out, please follow Glenn. Thank you uh, very much, sir, for joining me. I'm sure we'll be back in the near future where I can uh, beg you to come on. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this show on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Repeat Street Hoops, Read Me if you like to, and all those places that I write, Dime, etc. And we'll see you later on this week.